Good morning, City Light. My name is Doug, and I get to chase after Jesus and pursue Jesus with all of you guys. It's a pleasure. You may have noticed that uh, my partner in crime, my good friend and co-lead pastor, Eric, is not with us this morning. He and one of our elders, Arnie, they are in Rwanda, and they've been meeting this week with uh, church leaders, potential church planters, building architects, and uh, they're exploring the possibility of planting a new church in Rwanda, Africa. Isn't that awesome, guys? So cool. So pray for those guys. Let's just keep praying that God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done in Africa, just like it is in heaven. Well, I want to start this morning by asking you a question. What was the last show that you binge-watched? Right? Like the last show that made you drink eight cups of coffee after 10 p.m. And the last show that made you think that you didn't need to sleep that night, just click play next episode one more time. And then you get to the last episode and it's over and you jump out of your couch because you're mad or you're sad or you're crying because it's over or there's a cliffhanger, right? What was the last show you binge watched? I remember the first show that Whitney and I binge watched together. It was 24. You guys remember Jack Bauer? Jack Bauer was the guy who found the bad guy, who led to the big boss, who led to the arms dealer, who led to the international terrorist, who worked for the congressman, who was best friends with the president of the United States. That's pretty much every season of uh, 24 over and over again. Well, it was the Christmas of 2004, and Whitney and I were visiting her family, and her dad had season one on DVD, and he said, hey, you guys should watch this. He didn't tell us that we would become zombies the next few days. He didn't tell us that it would become our obsession. He didn't tell us that Jack and Chloe would be like our best friends. He just handed us the DVD and said, check this out. So we put disc one in the DVD player, press play, and we were hooked, okay? And pretty soon into the show, we realized, oh, every episode's like an hour, and it's kind of like in real time, and so it adds up to 24 hours. What if we devoted the next 24 hours of our lives to get through season one of 24. And they were like, no, we would never do that. We spread it out to two days. So we were a little wiser. And while we were watching 24, it was like an obsession to us. The rest of life was just details, these add-ons, right? Do we need to sleep? Nah, that's for weak people, you know? Like, do we need to eat a healthy breakfast? Don't need that. Should we change clothes? Nah, our PJs are still working just fine. We were obsessed. You ever ever been there? Chances are you have. In fact, uh, Netflix viewers in total consume about 140 million hours of content per day or over 1 billion hours of content every week. And that's just Netflix. In America, the average man watches 2.95 hours of TV per day. The average woman, two and a half hours. That's a lot of binge watching your favorite show. 
And listen, older generations can't just blame it on all those kids these days because for Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, Hulu, their largest demographic block is people aged 55 years and older. That's because all of us younger generations, we're spending our time on YouTube watching someone on the other side of the planet play and finish a video game that we wish we could have played and finished. Or we're watching someone crash their bike or get bitten by animals and see if they can survive. We get obsessed, right? Like obsessed with our favorite character, our favorite show, what's going to happen next. And pretty soon, Breaking Bad is our top priority and sleep can wait another night. I just want to know what happens in the crown, right? Like, Stranger Things is worth just one more episode. We get obsessed. Now, what does all of that have to do with Jesus and his kingdom? If you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has been talking about uh, life in his kingdom, things like uh, giving and praying and even fasting, which is like skipping meals, fasting from food. And then Jesus comes back around and he talks about giving some more and he talks about money. And if Matthew chapter six were a top 40 radio song, then verse 33 It's like the climax. It is the crescendo where you would roll down your windows and sing it at the top of your lungs. And that's what Jesus does in Matthew 6, 33. Here's how it goes. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, when we hear that, we begin to process it with our brains, Seek first the kingdom. Okay, that means I should wake up and get to church. Seek first the kingdom. That means I should be a nice person and try to read my Bible more often. And while those are good things, it doesn't quite do justice to the passion that Jesus uses when he speaks these words. It doesn't quite express what Jesus is singing at the top of his lungs with the windows down and the volume turned up to 11. So let's zoom in on Jesus' words here and see if we can pick up what he's putting down. That first word in 33, he says, seek. In the original language, that word seek means to seek in order to find or to demand. So it doesn't mean do a Google search and see what pops up. Instead, it means grab the treasure map. X marks the spot. Go buy some ammo and some weapons and some shovels and go all out, Nicolas Cage, until you get that treasure. It means to demand, to require, to crave to the point that you'll pay the highest price for what it is that you want. That's the word seek. Then there's the word first. Seek first. And that word first, I mean, it just means first in priority, first in rank, first in desire, first in passion. So Jesus is saying, listen, I know that in your life, you're going to have 
cravings. There's going to be things that you really, really, really want. So make your number one, top of the top, cream of the crop, strongest passion, desire, and craving, make it the kingdom of God. In other words, binge watch the kingdom. Crave the kingdom. Desire the kingdom of God. Hunger for the kingdom so much that you forget to eat food and you skip meals. Think about the kingdom of God so much that it dominates your thoughts and your prayers. Dream about the kingdom coming in your life to the point that money, money's just a tool for you to use to get more of the kingdom. Just one more episode of the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Just like for Whitney and I, when we were binge watching 24, things like food and changing our clothes and personal hygiene, they were just kind of additions in life that we got to if we really felt like we wanted to. And Jesus is saying that when we passionately pursue his kingdom, when we're craving his kingdom, then things like food and hygiene and clothes are just additions to life, and he'll take care of those additions. He'll take care of that stuff. Now, some of you are already like starting to think this through, and you're starting to wonder, okay, Doug, you're saying that Jesus wants me to passionately pursue his kingdom like I passionately pursue the next episode of whatever show it is I'm binge-watching. If I do that, how am I supposed to keep my job? Like, if I'm passionately pursuing it to that degree, like, how am I supposed to, like, take a shower or change clothes? Like, what do I do with the stuff of life? I mean, I got kids to feed. I got a job to keep. I got things that I probably need to do. How do I handle that stuff? And I think Jesus knew we would ask those questions, and he gives us answers for those. So go back in your Bibles to verse 25, Matthew 6, 25, and look at how Jesus tells us to handle the stuff of life, clothes, food, hygiene, kids, you know, the details of life. Verse 25, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now, these words of Jesus are starting to sound kind of crazy, right? Like if you take verse 33 and verse 25 and you put them together, Jesus is saying, binge watch the kingdom of God and don't worry about what you're wearing. That sounds great if you're a two-year-old boy who just wants more PJ mask, right? Like, I don't need a diaper change, mom. I don't even need clothes. I just want one more episode. But what, what do we do with it? How do we adults who try to live responsible lives, how do we handle this? So zoom in on Jesus' command there. He says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. That word anxious, like in the original language it was written in, it, it meant to take care, to take over the care of something, to take it from someone else and put it on your shoulders. Maybe an illustration would be helpful here. Uh, when my brother and I were younger, there'd be times when my grandma would help mom and dad. They'd, they would help take care of me. She would help take care of me and my brother like she would... Uh, mom and dad would drop us off at her house. 
She would make us delicious cinnamon rolls to eat, and she would give us rides to school. She would tell us to actually chew our food before we swallow it, whatever that's all about. And grandma took care of us. Grandma became anxious for us, or in her words, boys, sometimes you worry me sick. That's how she would say it. Then as grandma began to age, I noticed that mom and dad stepped in and they began to take care of grandma. They would stop by her house to see how she's doing. They would fix the problems that would come up around her house. They'd make sure she wasn't spending too much money on her favorite new blouse. Grandma had at least four closets. And so they would take care of grandma. They became anxious for grandma. Then as grandma continued to age, my mom and dad just didn't have like the time or the energy or the skills to keep taking care of grandma. So she moved into the Presbyterian Manor. She was a Baptist surrounded by Presbyterians. And the Presbyterian Manor took care of grandma. Quite literally, they took her four closets and started telling her, what to wear, and when. They took her meal plan and told her when to eat. They took her person, uh, personal hygiene and made sure she got a shower and got her hair done up nice. Presbyterian Manor took care of grandma. They became anxious for grandma. Anxiety means to take care of something, to take over, to take charge of something that belongs to somebody else, to take it off of their shoulders and put it on your shoulders, on your mind, on your schedule, in your checkbook. So in Matthew 6, 25, Jesus is saying, don't take over the cares of your life from me. Don't take care from me. Your life is in my care. Don't take it away from me. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be anxious about your life. In another scripture passage, it says it very similarly. 1 Peter 5 verse 7. It says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. We all have cares in our life, and Jesus and 1 Peter, they're saying, no, cast your cares on God. Why? Because God cares for you. The Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, hundreds of years ago, he wrote, it is our work to cast care, and it is God's work to take care. So Jesus isn't saying, well, you might as well wear your PJs to work again, right? Like he's, he isn't saying, well, just skip food and I'll magically insert nutrients into your belly. And he's certainly not saying, ah, who needs a budget? Why balance a checkbook? It'll all work out okay in the end. That's not what Jesus is saying. Instead, Jesus is saying, don't take control of your life from me. All of your life, down to how many days you live, how much clothing you can afford, or how much food you eat, it's in the care of God. And Jesus says, cast your cares on him. Don't take your cares from him. And as good as that sounds, right? I mean, it sounds good to cast your cares on the Lord. As good as that sounds, it's really difficult to do, right? I mean, let's admit it, y'all. We are a worrisome bunch of people. Some of you, you may feel like my grandma, who was a fiercely independent woman who prided herself on her cooking and her clothes and her really cheap jewelry that didn't look really cheap. She was proud of that. So when she had to come under the care of mom and dad, 
she wasn't excited about that. And when she had to come under the care of a bunch of Presbyterians, she was even less excited about that. Many of us, we may identify with my grandma and say, man, we'd rather take our cares than cast our cares on God. And so Jesus, who's hit, Jesus' goal is, man, I want you to be obsessed with the kingdom of God. I want you to be focused on the kingdom of God. Jesus wants to help take our cares, help us lay those down so that we can be obsessed with the kingdom. And what Jesus is going to do, he's going to give us four reasons, four reasons for us to cast our cares on him instead of take our cares on ourselves. The, the truth is, in America... Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in our nation. About 40 million people, that's like one in every five adults, has an anxiety disorder that significantly impairs their lives. And whether you're diagnosed with an anxiety disorder or not, I mean, if all of us in this room, if we just went dead silent for the next 10 minutes and we started writing down what we worry about, we'd have some long list really fast, right? Dare I say it? We like to worry. Dare I say it? We don't know how to live without worry. Whether it's worrying about money to pay the bills or am I going to get sick or contract a disease? How are my kids going to turn out? Can I get a job? Will I be able to keep that job if I get that job? Are the floodwaters going to keep rising? What's going to happen to my stuff? I mean, we worry. We are anxious for our lives. And so Jesus wants to remove that worry so we can passionately pursue his kingdom. He gives us four reasons to cast our cares on God instead of keep them on ourselves. And as we go through these four reasons, I just want to encourage you, don't feel like you have to take all four of these and go do them perfectly. Instead, just listen for one that's for you this morning. Put on your spiritual ears and just say, God, which one of these is for me this morning? Which one do I need to grab hold of so that I will cast my cares on you instead of keep my cares myself? The first reason to cast our cares on God is this. You are valuable to God. You, (laughs) you are valuable to God. Jesus says it this way in verse 26 and 27. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So the God of, of the universe takes care of these little birds flying all over the place. And I mean, these birds, they're everywhere, right? Like we see them, but we don't really think about it. We're like, oh, there's a bird, have a nice day. Or can I shoot you, right? It kind of depends on the season of the year, how we respond to birds. But, but God, he sees the birds and he cares for them and he feeds them. And then Jesus says, hey, aren't you of more value to your heavenly father than these birds? In fact, you're so important to God. You're so valuable to him that God isn't just the God of the universe to you. God reveals himself to you as your heavenly father. He's your father. And you may have grown up in a family where you felt like an afterthought, like you were forgotten. But your father, God, he says you are a great thought. You're on the forefront of his 
mine. Your parents may have told you that you were just an accident, but your father God, he says, no, you were planned for a purpose. The world says you're just another face in the sea, a crowd of faces, but father God says, I see you and I know you personally. Your company says you're just another number, another employee to get something done, but father God says, I have adopted you into my kingdom. You're my child, my son, or my daughter, and I send you out on my mission. You are valuable to your father. He's your father. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Second reason to cast our cares on God is this. Worries don't work. (laughs) Worries just don't work. And I mean, Jesus gets really practical here in verse 27. He says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Or, like my pastor friend Eric, who's in Rwanda right now, he prefers the alternate translation down at the footnote of your ESV Bible, which says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single inch to his height? Right? It's never worked for Eric so far. So... That was a cheap shot while he's loving orphans in Africa. I get that. Forgive me. I hope he will too. Jesus is saying, man, all the time that we spend worrying, it's not worth it. It's ineffective. It's impotent. It's unable. And Jesus is really smart here. There was a study done uh, a few years ago in 2015 where they asked a bunch of people to write down their worries. Like, what are they worried about over uh, a period of time? And then at the end of that period of time, they asked them to look back and see which of those worries ever actually materialized. Which of those worries ever actually came about? And what they found in this study is that 85% of the worries that they wrote down never actually happened. 85%. And for the 15% of worries that did come about, 80% of those people came to the realization, oh, I actually handled that just fine. The world didn't come crashing down. The worst case scenario never actually happened. So this study scientifically concluded that 97% of what we worry about isn't actually worth worrying about. Maybe some of us just need to hear this morning that worry isn't worth it. Worry doesn't work, and you'd spend your time better doing something else. As popular author Jody Picot once said, she said, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives us something to do, but it doesn't get us very far. Worry doesn't work. Third reason that Jesus gives us to cast our cares on God is this. God is faithful even when we're not. Look at verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory. Now, Solomon was like this mega famous, super rich king back in Old Testament times, and he always had the latest and greatest in styles, kind of like Tyler Mass here on the front row. That was King Solomon. And so Jesus is saying, men, even Solomon arrayed in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these little lilies. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Pause right there. Like if the verse ended there, it'd be such a sweet, such a refreshing verse. God is faithful. God is generous. God is good to 
little lilies and to rich kings and to us. But Jesus continues and he like throws in this tagline at the end of verse 30 that almost feels like a sucker punch, doesn't it? He says, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Like, ouch, Jesus. I'm struggling with worry here. I'm not like trying to take over your kingdom and destroy your reign. Like, I'm struggling with worry, not trying to dethrone you. Why did you have to do that, Jesus? Well, here's why I think Jesus does it. I don't think it's a sucker punch. I think Jesus wants us to know that God is faithful, God is kind, and God is generous even when we feel like we've got no faith left. Even when we feel like our faith is just emptied out, like there's no faith left in the tank, and worry can do that. It can make you feel like you don't have any faith, like it's all gone. And so Jesus is saying, man, even when you're in the pit, the trap of anxiety, and a thousand worst case scenarios are surrounding you, and your breathing is getting rapid, and you're starting to panic, and you certainly don't feel like a faithful Christian, even then God is faithful to you. When you are at the worst of your anxiety, God still gives the best of his faithfulness to you. God is faithful. Maybe you need to hear this morning that God is faithful to you even when you're not. Fourth and final reason to cast our cares on God. Jesus says, the world worries. Right? The world around us spends their time worrying about all sorts of different things. But Jesus says, Christians get to be weird here. (laughs) Christians get to be unique and different from the world. Look at verses 31 and 32. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear for the Gentiles, that'd be the world. The Gentiles seek after all these things. So she's saying, the world worries, don't be like the world. Now, this might sound strange to some of us, but like if you kind of got a rebel inside of you, right, this might be a new way for you to rebel, okay? If you want to be strange, If you want to be unique, if you want to be different, set apart from the world, breaking the mold, not going with the flow, if you want to be strange, Jesus invites you to cast your cares on him because he cares for you. People who don't worry are weird, right? Like they're sitting in the break room at work and they have like peace and calm on their face instead of, I'm freaking out on the inside, written on their face, right? Teenagers who don't worry are weird. They're loving others and practically serving others and investing in their friends instead of trying to make life all about themselves. Parents who don't worry are weird. They're loving and nurturing and empowering instead of like angry and controlling and manipulative of their kids. If you want to be weird, if you want to stand out from the crowd, Jesus is saying, cast your cares on God because he cares for you. Don't be anxious about your life. Now, remember why Jesus is talking about worry. Why is Jesus going into our hearts and trying to separate worry and pull it out and set us free from worry? It's because he wants us to be obsessed with his kingdom. 
He wants us to crave his kingdom and long for more of his kingdom to come and more of his will to be done, even in our neck of the woods, even in our own lives. And he knows that worry can sideline us. Worry can divide us and distract us from the hunger for his kingdom coming. So he goes in and tries to remove worry by giving us these four reasons, right? And Jesus isn't asking us to do something that he was unwilling to do himself. In fact, later in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is wrestling with a temptation to worry. He's wrestling with, should, should I keep casting my life and casting my cares on the Father, or should I take charge of this myself? Should I take care? He says in Matthew 26, verse 38, he's talking to his closest followers in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. Remain here and watch with me. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, that's starting to sound like Jesus is tempted to worry, like he's really being tempted with anxiety here. And Jesus himself, he's passionate for the kingdom of God. He wants God's kingdom to come. He wants God's kingdom to show up, but he also knows that the way the kingdom is going to come is through his death. It's through his crucifixion. And so he's feeling the weight of God's kingdom coming. He's feeling the weight that in a matter of moments, he's going to be betrayed, lied about, taken through a mock trial, beaten, tortured, crucified. All of that's coming down on him. And in his passion for the kingdom, he's being tempted to worry. He's being tempted to anxiety, to take things into his own hands, come up with his own plan, do his own thing. So what does Jesus do? Verse 39. And going a little farther... He fell on his face and prayed. And he said, my father, do you see it? To Jesus, God wasn't just the God of the universe. He was his father. Jesus prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus is saying, is there any other way for your kingdom to come? Is there any other way for this to happen? Instead of me going through the cross, oh, Father, I know you love me. Father, I know you get my needs. So, Father, I'm coming to you with my needs. I'm casting my cares on you. Is there any other way? Jesus engages the temptation to worry by going to his Father who loves him. And this is how it ends at the last line of verse 39. Jesus prays, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In the end, Jesus is faithful. He cast his cares on the Father. He cast his very own life, keeps it in the Father's care. And because Jesus engaged in this wrestle against worry, because Jesus came to the Father who loves him and cast his cares on the Father instead of taking control of his own life, because Jesus cast his life, we don't have to control ours. Like Jesus, we can find our Father faithful. And even for Jesus, the worst case scenario did play out. He did get betrayed, beaten, tortured, and go through crucifixion. The worst case scenario played out, but the father remained faithful and rose him from the dead, giving him victory over even death. And so because Jesus engaged in this wrestle of temptation and cast his life into the father's hands and entrusted it to 
the Father. You and I, even now, we don't have to take control of our lives. We too can entrust it to the Father and know that he will be faithful to us even when we aren't faithful. Amen, church? Amen. Would you, let's pray. Pray with me and let's ask God to take this and drive it home in our hearts. No need to rush here. We've got plenty of time. We've designed the morning so that we could have this moment with the Father. And so with your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you begin to talk to God? Father in heaven, even now we pray that you would come and work in our hearts. Would you begin to expose those worries and the things that we are anxious about? The things that we're tempted to take over or take care instead of cast it onto you. And Father, would you speak to us about those things? Let us hear what you're saying. And so church, with heads bowed and eyes closed, this might help you. This is a practice I do, and I just want to invite you to do it this morning right now. Just hold out your hands with your palms up. And just between you and Father, you can talk to him. Think of a worry in your life. Maybe there's lots of worries, but think of what you're worried about and just imagine those things in your hands there. And you're trying to hold them. You're trying to take them and keep them. You also know they're heavy, that you can't quite carry that load. It's too much for you. I just want to encourage you, in your own mind, silently, can you just name that worry? Name those worries. And then the next step, can you share that? Just share those worries with the Father. Tell Him what it is. Tell Him what you're worried about. And then however it helps you to imagine it, I just want you in in your heart to cast those worries to the Father to throw them to him, to release them to the Father and say, oh, Father, I know I'm valuable to you and important to you. I can give this to you. Father, I know my worries aren't gonna work. They're not gonna be effective with this, so I give them to you. Father, I know you're gonna be faithful to me even when I'm not, so here they are. And Father, you've called me to be distinct and different from the world. I cast my worries to you. I I, I throw them on you. And now that you've cast your cares on him, can you just... Flip your palms over, face down. Just as a sign, just a reminder to you that your hands are free now. You don't have to hold that worry, hold those worries anymore. It's free. You're free to love. You're free to serve. You're free to trust the Father. It's no longer yours to keep or fix or manage or control. It's His to fix, to manage, to keep and control. Oh, Father, through your Holy Spirit now, would you come and just drive it home in our hearts? Oh, we're going to be so tempted to pick it back up as soon as I'm done talking. Would you help us to keep our hands, palms down, in a posture of release to you as a symbol that we can't carry it, but you can and you will. Father, thank you for Jesus who released his very life, even to the point of death so that we can release all of our little worries and big worries, life-altering and schedule-changing worries to you. We do it now in Jesus' name. Amen.